Downs will round the three-yard line. Ward Cup takes it. He's cutting up to his left. He's over the 10. Nice block there by Lehman. Cup still going. He's up to the 25. And now he's hit and hit hard about the 27-yard line. Bruiser Kennard made the tackle. We interrupt this broadcast and bring you this important bulletin from the United Press. Flash, Washington. The White House announces Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. When did you fully grasp the magnitude of Pearl Harbor? We came back in the port and that place was still on fire. I lived at sea, like I said, for three and a half years. Lowered their guns down and fired two shots. One of them shell went through the conning tower right at the water line. And of course, that ripped the steel there. So the bunch of us never in a shape for about a year. We, we looked like a bunch of Amish. <laughs> and both torpedoes hit that hit that shallower water and hit the coral and exploded, so it didn't hit us. Columbia's correspondent, Ford Wilkins, was put on the air in CBS's regular 2.30 news program on Sunday afternoon from Manila. He was cut off the air suddenly while he was talking about air raid shelters possibly because of censorship. Tokyo, somewhere in that area, there was this gal who was on the TV or on the radio almost every night. Our radio would pick up her broadcast. She spoke real good English. She was telling the boys, go home. Your wives are running around with the four Fs and cheating on you. Go home, go home. It's October 6th, and we're at the American Legion 381, and we're sitting here with Jack. I don't have much to say, uh, but if anyone does, it's World War II survivor, Pearl Harbor, eyewitness, Jack. Jack, would you introduce yourself? What's your first and last name? My true name is John, but I go by Jack. My last name is Garrett. I'm uh, Right now, I'm about 101 and a half years old. My memory is fading a little bit, but... Uh, I'll do my best to answer any questions this gentleman has to answer me, uh, to the best of my knowledge. I am just honored and privileged to be sitting across from a World War II hero, and not just World War II, but Pearl Harbor survivor. We have a living, breathing eyewitness to the event that pulled America into World War II. You want to maybe start there? Um, Yes, uh, uh, I joined the Navy in peacetime. Uh, I never had any shore duty. I lived at sea for three and a half years. I was in the Navy before the war started until after the war. I lived at sea all those years. Uh, the ship I was on was the USS St. Louis. Uh, she was a, a fairly new ship. She was uh, commissioned sometime in 1939. I don't know when. And that made her a pretty new ship. And there were seven cruisers of that class. And uh, we saw, as a survivor, uh, after the war started, we had very, very few ships uh, in service. It was all damaged. But the St. Louis was not. And uh, like I said earlier, I served, I lived at sea for four and a half years. And uh, uh, the, the St. Louis was very fortunate. She got the name the Lucky Lou by being in 11 sea battles and surviving them, but all but being hit several times. Uh, uh, 
over the years, uh, it was estimated that the St. Louis traveled about a, a quarter of a million miles. I, I never, never got back to the States, but once or twice for just for a couple of days and right back to sea again. And uh, uh, altogether, the St. Louis at sea uh, was hit by one bomb uh, and uh, one kamikaze and one torpedo. And you were on board when I was the Lucky Lou when and you were hit with a kamikaze. Yes. So this was this was um so well into the war then. Oh, this well is, into okay. the war, yeah. So why don't we jump back? Where were you standing when those Japanese bombers made contact? Where were you? Physically? On the second deck in the navy yard. Okay, second deck of the Lucky Lou. Yeah, on the, or road, Navy, the Yard. Navy Yard. Okay. And we were uh, uh, tied up. We were tied up to uh, Pearl Harbor. Is, is as big as people may think. It's quite crowded. And uh, our sister ship, the USS Honolulu, was tied up to a pier in the Navy Yard. And we were tied up alongside of her for just for minor repairs. And... Uh, because when a ship runs, it's 24-7, uh, and all this equipment needs attention occasionally. And that's where we were. We were tied up. Our all eight boilers was absolutely cold, no water in any of them. And we were just more or less dead, tied up alongside the Honolulu. Was it, I just can't imagine, was it hot? And smoky and hard to see. Oh no, there wasn't nothing like that. There wasn't that much of it. Uh, what the Japanese was after was the carriers, and they were all in port the day before. All the, the, the three or four carriers was in port in Pearl, and they went to went to see the day before the the attack. That's what they was after. They could fly right under the other ships. They wanted the carriers. Well, okay. there's none there. Their second choice then was the battleships. It was, was they was all tied up in what was considered a battleship row. They're the one took all the damage. They didn't care for other smaller ships. This is CBS in America calling Honolulu. Go ahead, Honolulu. This is CBS in America calling Honolulu. Go ahead, Honolulu. Go ahead, Honolulu. The captain always said that he never ordered anything about getting trying to get the ship ready because it was dead in port. The crew members themselves automatically, the boiler tenders, put water in all eight boilers. The firemen lit off the boilers. And we got boiler. It took some time. It was on the second wave, not the first wave, because it didn't last that long. And uh, we got underway. Uh, and the captain said he he never remembered anything about telling the crew to prepare to go to sea because it was like I said, dead in the water. All our everything was coming off of the beach. Our, our water, our power. Everything. We were just, just tied up dead. And uh, we got steam up in just a short time. 
We backed away from Honolulu and uh, started out the harbor when about the second wave came in. But as we left the harbor, normally in Pearl, the ship don't move more than four or five knots because the size of the ship and the weight is stopping them or turning them around or anything. There's just no space for that. So, um, uh, uh, well, like I said, four or five knots would be top speed in Pearl. But we left about 18 to 20 knots. And uh, there's a battleship, I believe, the Tennessee. You were hauling then. You, you pushed the physical limits of the ship oh, to yes, get out of there? Uh, so five yeah. is normal cruise, but you were going 18? Yeah, going out. Trying yeah. to avoid the uh, second wave of bombers. And the battleship did get underway. I think it was a Tennessee, if I remember correctly now, just after all these period of years. Uh, and uh, uh, she was ahead of us, but she was damaged severely. And uh, the, the uh, uh, going to the leaving Pearl Harbor, the, uh, it was all uh, uh, boys on each side show you where the depth was for the channel, and she, and this bouncer was barely moving, and she saw us coming, so the captain turned out of the, out of the channel and just run aground in shallow water before he finally, he didn't sink, just settled right there on the bottom up in the mud so we could get by. As we went out the harbor, uh, uh, we was firing the aircraft, too, but that, uh, there was a two-man sub laying out at the entrance of Pearl, uh, waiting for any ship that tried to come out. Well, uh, I guess the crew didn't realize after they shot two torpedoes, they made them so much lighter, the submarine popped to the surface, which... Uh, they had they have water tanks on both sides of the ships. Even all destroyer submarines do for ballast to sink the ship or to raise it up. Well, they had their tanks filled to fill her up so that she'd settle down below the surface. This her periscope up, and her periscope was spotted, and her aircraft, four inch in the aircraft, saw it. They turned their turret around. Uh, at, well, they didn't see that. They saw the uh, wake of the two torpedoes coming towards us as we left the parter, harbor. And um, uh, when, after they shot, well, she'd come right to the surface. Well, uh, she was exposed then, and the aircraft gun saw it, lowered their guns down and fired two shots. And then one of them went through the conning tower and down below, right at the water line, and she sunk right there. Well, these two torpedoes was coming toward us, and uh, between the, the submarine and the St. Louis, there was a, a ridge of coral that was hollowed out between them uh, so we could get out of the harbor. And, uh, of course, the Japanese didn't know that. And both torpedoes hit that, hit that shallower water. It hit the coral and exploded, so it didn't hit us. 
So there was a there was a ambush waiting for ships coming out yes, of port. Uh-huh. And the Japanese subs. So you saw the wake of the torpedoes coming in. Now the British they saw that, and uh, they, we could do nothing. Any, but uh, by being so shallow between the ship and the submarine, their torpedoes hit the reef. That reef we're, saved that ship, you think? Pardon me? Would that have been a total loss then? Oh, no. It all depends on where it hit. Okay. Because we were hit by a torpedo later on. Okay. So what type of craft is that? The St. That, Louis? Yeah. A light cruiser. A light cruiser. So it wasn't the primary target. It wasn't a carrier. Oh, no. Huh? And it wasn't a destroyer no. or battleship. No. It was a, cr- uh, this, a carrier or like a cruiser. The, there's no carriers in port. And, of course, battleships, it costs the normal in the Navy, they kid the battleship sailors that the only time they pull their anchor up was to paint it. Wow. <laughs> because the cost of operating a battleship is so tremendous, they just never went to sea. It was always tied up all the time. Wow. So that's why we always, same way with the <laughs> Coast Guard. We always kid the Coast Guard sailors when we see them in a tavern somewhere. <laughs> Well, one thing about you guys, you in your shallow water, if your ship gets sunk, you roll your pants legs up and wade ashore. <laughs> That's what we used to tell them. Were we able to sink the well, subs? Well, sub, the subs sunk immediately after the, 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 five, the five of them went through their conning tower at the water line. She filled the water and down, down she went. Okay, so you struck, the anti-aircraft gun struck the, the top of the sub? Yeah. Okay, so that was almost improvisation. What's normally for a plane, you shot, you shot this cannon at the top of the Japanese sub, and then it filled with water. And, and sunk so, right there in shallow water. There's shallow water anyway. And uh, our, under, our gunners in that uh, uh, four-inch anti-aircraft fire, there's two, two barrels on the gun. And uh, one of them shell went through the conning tower right at the water line. Of course, that ripped the steel and everything apart. She filled, immediately filled with water and settled right there. So it was on its way. It was almost out of reach. And, I mean, was this like a like a lucky last-minute shot? Yes, more have, or less, yeah. Could this sub have taken out, you know, two, three more craft? Yeah, oh, it could have, yeah. But uh, we, gonna, we looked, uh, we didn't see for a couple of days, never found anything. And uh, we came back into port, and that place was still on fire. The aircraft carrier uh, hangars were still ablaze, fire all over, and wrecked airplanes all over the place. And then uh, uh, it happened to be in uptown Honolulu, there's a, a cruise ship in port. Well, the Navy immediately confiscated that. There's a lot of servicemen in Pearl was married, had their families there. Oh, well, yeah. Well, the, 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 the mother and the kids was all put on this, on this transport, uh, escorted them about halfway to Frisco. And then the destroyers from Frisco came out and met us and escorted them on in. Then we went back to Pearl. And I wasn't back in the Pearl after that for a couple of years. Okay, you didn't go back to rebuild? Um, what was your job um, specifically? Uh, my, my job was a ship fitter, uh, which has been updated uh, to a 
a better name so-called today. They're called hull technicians. Ship fitter. Ship fitter, 1941, yeah. hull and, technicians. Uh, I was uh, the, uh, the ship fitter, maintain, uh, the maintenance crew aboard ship. And that's what I was. And uh, well, we left there, we went back to Tor Pearl, and uh, but there's a group of us decided, well, we're not going to, uh, I don't know how exactly this happened right now, but uh, they were, uh, were discussing about shaving. <laughs> and we see a bunch of us mentioned, my division, which is the R division, and ship fitter, uh, well, we won't shave anymore. Till we get back to Pearl, or back to Frisco, but took us a year to get back. <laughs> pretty, pretty scruffy then. So, but a bunch of us never shaved for about a year. We, we looked like a bunch of Amishmen. <laughs> <laughs> but the captain, we had a tremendous captain, just absolutely out of this world. Our captain was. Normally, even today, when you see on TV, uh, uh, ships kind of in the port, or the sailors are all lined up all the way around. We didn't do that anymore. Always did in peacetime. In the morning, right after Reveille, everybody gets up on the main deck so everybody's heads could be counted. We didn't lose anybody overnight. No more of that. The captain says, no more of that. we got a war to fight. Okay. And uh, we enter any port, as long as I was aboard the St. Louis, the first thing the captain would do would check to see who was S-O-P-A. That being senior officer present afloat. Now it seems odd. A battleship off the side here somewhere got a senior captain. He can tell my captain. Uh, the the senior captain aboard yep. ship. Sopa. Yep. The senior captain aboard ship sets the uh, liberty for other ships. So the ship is divided into four sections. Okay. You have to have one section aboard to maintain the ship, and maybe three sections ashore. And a lot of older skippers, that's the way they set it. Uh, 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 one section aboard, I mean, the newer ones, uh, uh, captains, uh, but especially the one in St. Louis, first thing he wanted to ask who was SOPA, senior, and it was this uh, battleship or any carrier in port. As they said, one section ashore, and if he was senior, my captain was senior to the other one, he had changed it immediately and put it three sections ashore and one section aboard. And uh, otherwise, you, if you got one section aboard, you, you had to stay aboard the ship three days in a row, then you got to go ashore for the fourth day. That's what that meant. Mm. Or it could be two and two, two sections aboard ship and two ashore. But the St. Louis captain, he changed all that. He wanted three sections ashore, relaxing of the, the war. Because we live, I lived at sea, like I said, for three and a half years. I never lived on the beach. So when you say lived at sea, uh, starting what year and ending what year was your three-year span? Uh, from the war till after the war ended, I was discharged in November of 45. Okay. I was in, in the Navy before the war. Mr. Garrett, for the young people listening, tell us about what you had planned for your life before the Navy and before Pearl Harbor. 
What was your big dream, your big American dream? Uh, well, uh, before I wasn't in the Navy, I was working on the Pennsylvania Railroad. A number like everybody had uh, from the draft number. And I know my number was coming up pretty damn soon. And uh, I had a cousin older than me to join the Navy. He was stationed aboard an aircraft carrier. And he always told me to write me some letters wherever he was throughout the world. And I decided, well, there's going to be a war. I know that. And I, I don't want to be in the Army. We should like to now try to call in Manila, the capital of the Philippine Commonwealth. Go ahead, Manila. This is CBS in America calling Manila. Go ahead. Okay. So uh, you're working at the railroad. So, yeah. The draft wasn't stated because Hitler invaded Poland. We know there's a need to instill the draft. Many young men were already volunteering. Yeah. And you were on in line for your day of duty. You were... Working my draft number, yeah. Okay. What year was that? 1941, uh, 19, yeah. Okay, so like, so what month? Do you remember what month? Uh, uh, let's say maybe August or, August or September, I remember. So you're sweating bullets. You're working on the railroad and in the mainland, and you know that war's coming, and... So now you're you're a sea guy, now you're a navy guy on the Lucky Lou. Now what what does a cruiser do in World War II? I I'm learning everything from from the start. What is a cruiser's job? Well, the the, the, the cruiser's third in line in size. The carriers are the biggest, then the battleships, then the heavy cruisers. And then the light cruisers. So you'd be anti-aircraft. Would you do refueling, resupplying, or what? Well, what type? Uh, uh, a battleship has got sixteen-inch guns. It's got nine sixteen-inch guns. Uh, a heavy cruiser's got nine eight-inch guns, and the light cruisers has fifteen six-inch guns. And that's where the light cruiser, which is a ten-thousand-ton category. You, you're a light cruiser. Light cruiser, yeah. Okay. And uh, after the war started, uh, our radio, radio on the board ship, of course, they're always listening for something all the time, you know, uh, enemy of any. And, uh, and, and somewhere in uh, uh, Tokyo, somewhere in that area, there was this gal uh, was on the TV or on the radio almost every night. And... Uh, our radio would pick up her broadcast and then uh, type it, hook it right up to the ship's speaker system. So everything goes on. And she was just telling, she spoke real good English. And uh, she was telling the boys, go home. Your, your wives are running around with the four Fs and cheating on you. Go home, go home. She was telling us that every night. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, we've been by that time we, we've been a few engagements with the all together in uh, St. Louis in eleven sea battles. Eleven, and how many of those were you um, on board? 
for all of them. All 11. Uh, okay. And, uh, uh, so she'd always tell us, then she'd come on the air and she'd we soaked the Lucky Lou. No, no. We soaked the St. Louis. We soaked the St. She said that many times. And we were sinking their ships real good. Wow. And uh, that's how she got her name, the Lucky Lou. So you, here you are, a young man. Um, you're in Pearl Harbor. You're on the second deck. The Japanese bomb us. It was, they planned this attack for a long time. It was it was brutal. It it was. We have movies made after this event. Uh, you can't quite understand it if you're not there. And you were there. Try to just explain to us the emotions when you realized that all those hundreds of planes were there to destroy you. Oh yeah. Your brothers, your sisters, your mothers. They were. The planes were officially described so far as unidentified in these messages, although later reports that have come in from the press associations definitely identify at least two of these planes as carrying the emblem of the rising sun, the emblem of Japan. When did you fully grasp the magnitude of Pearl Harbor? After all these many years, uh, I really can't come up with a good answer for that. 